Amen. Well, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and I'll read for us verses 1 to 13. We are currently in a series in which we're looking at our mission statement as a church, and actually this will be the last Sunday in this series, so we'll be wrapping this series up. And then uh, I'm really looking forward to next week, we'll be starting, Lord willing, a series on the life of Joseph. And so uh, we'll be looking at the life of Joseph for a number of weeks. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through to verse 13, okay? So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Let's pray. Father, Your Word is truth, and Lord, even as we prayed earlier this morning, we pray that You would sanctify us by Your Word. We pray that You would make us holy. We pray that You would set us apart. We pray, Father, that You would teach us and instruct us. We pray, Father, that as we hear Your Word, that it would be accompanied by the power of Your Spirit. And Lord, we pray that we would be made the people that You would have us to be. Help us in this time. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, we are uh, in a series right now in which we're considering our mission statement. And our mission as a church is to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. So we've spent several weeks breaking that mission statement down. We've looked at what does it mean to make disciples. We've looked at what does it mean to enjoy the gospel. We looked at what does it mean to live the gospel and then this week we're going to look at what does it mean to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16 verse 15, he said this to his disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In our text this morning what we see is how Paul glorifies God by proclaiming the gospel. And I want us to see how Paul does that and then from that we will see implications for our own lives and for our church. Now, the first thing I want us to see in our text this morning is the grace of God and the ministry of proclamation. The grace of God and the ministry of proclamation. So, grace is receiving what we don't 
deserve. In our series, we've been talking about the gospel. The gospel's at the heart of our mission statement as a church. And the gospel is really the good news of God's salvation. And the reason why God's salvation is good news is because it comes to us through grace. Because it's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we've earned. But rather, it comes to us solely by grace. In other words, it's a free gift. It's undeserved. It's unearned. And what we see in our text this morning is that Paul is convinced that not only is the call of salvation a gift of God's free grace, but the responsibility of proclamation is a gift of God's grace. Let me say that again. Not only is the call of salvation a gift of God's grace, but Paul teaches us here that the responsibility of proclamation is a gift of God's grace. So look there in chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says, and here we'll see clearly in context, he's speaking of this responsibility that he has to proclaim the gospel. He says in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. The stewardship of proclaiming the gospel. It was a grace that was given to him. Turn over to, uh, or if you look at chapter 2, verse 7, we read these words. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. So there it is again. He's made a minister of this gospel by grace. And then look at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. And what was the grace given? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, this calling, this this responsibility, this burden that I've been given to proclaim the gospel is grace. It's It's an undeserved, unmerited favor and blessing that God has placed upon my life. And this especially comes clear, again, when we think about the biography of the Apostle Paul. Paul, we know, before he became a Christian, was what we would characterize today as a religious terrorist. I mean, think about it. Paul was going to use whatever political means he could to silence Christians. Paul's intent was to persecute and kill Christians so that he might strike terror in them in such a way that they would stop proclaiming this message. And then Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. We know that Paul was miraculously converted. And the greatest enemy of the Christian faith becomes its most effective proponent. Shortly after Paul was converted, Jesus made this declaration over Paul's life. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. And when Paul reflects, and and here in in Ephesians chapter 3, when he reflects on his previous life, who he was and what he did... And now he recognized what Christ has done in his life. He is amazed by the grace and the mercy of God. Not only that Christ revealed himself to Paul. Not only that Christ forgave him of his sins. Not only that Christ arrested his heart. Not only that Christ called Paul to be his child, his son. But also that Christ would call him who had blasphemed his name, who had persecuted his church, that he would call Paul to take this message of salvation to the ends of the earth. And when Paul reflects on that, 
That not only have I received the call of salvation, but I've received the responsibility of proclamation. He says this, this is evidence of God's undeserved, unmerited favor and blessing. This is the product and fruit of God's grace in my life. Now I remember when the Lord really got a hold of my life when I was in high school. And uh, this is one of the things that right after I was just really broken over my sin and the Lord had really changed my life. And I, that was just one of the things that, that right after that I was just really struck by. That I actually had purpose in life. That God had arrested my heart. That God had saved me. And He had saved me for a purpose. He had given me a mission. The mission that has been given to all Christians. Namely, to make disciples. And really before that, I, had, I, I didn't even realize what I was missing out on. I mean, before that, really, all I was concerned about was, you know, whether people liked me or not, and whether I was cool or popular or whatever. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Looking back on it, it's really actually pretty embarrassing and pathetic. But by God's grace, He saved me, and not only did He save me, He gave me a purpose, not just so that people would like me, He gave me a purpose so that I might impact eternal souls, so I might do spiritual good for others. Some might build the church of Jesus Christ. And listen, this isn't just for me. This is for all who are called to faith in Jesus Christ. We have been given a purpose and a mission in Jesus Christ. And this is grace. It is grace. It is undeserved, unmerited favor that God would call us to share this message with others. It's not only true of us individually as well, it's true of us as a church. We as a church body are called to participate in this mission, to lock arms together as believers and to speak and proclaim this message in our own neighborhood, in the larger CSRA, and even to the nations as we pray and as we send and as we go. So Paul says here that the ministry of proclamation is a gift of God's grace, okay? But then what I want us to see next, so that's the, that's the first point we've looked at, the ministry of proclamation and the grace of God. But what I want us to see next is that Paul presses deeper into this. And really what we see here is that as Paul has read grace as the foundation of the ministry of proclamation, then Paul shows us how every facet of the ministry of proclamation is a product of grace. Every facet of the ministry of proclamation is a product of grace. And there's three, actually, facets of the ministry of proclamation that I want us to, to focus on and see from our text. First is this, the grace of God to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. The grace of God to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look there in chapter 3, verse 8, and we read these words. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, what are the unsearchable riches of Christ? Well, if you were here for our first sermon in this series, you might remember that in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins to unpack some of these unsearchable riches that come to us through faith in Jesus. And throughout church, uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, you see these realities of uh, the doctrine of election, of predestination, of adoption, redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. This reality that those who place their faith in Jesus are granted an eternal inheritance. Uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And we could mention others as well. These are doctrines or truths that are laid out for us in Ephesians chapter 1 that make up some of these unsearchable riches of Christ that are given to us through faith in Jesus. And Paul in chapter 1 was rejoicing in these things, right? God has chosen us and he's predestined us and he's adopted us and he's forgiven us and he's redeemed us. He's given us this eternal inheritance. He's filled us and sealed us with his Holy Spirit. Paul is taken in chapter 1 by the gospel. But what Paul says here, not only is he taken by the unsearchable riches of Christ and rejoicing in the unsearchable riches of Christ, but in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, listen, Not only have we received the unsearchable riches of Christ, but it is all of grace. It is the grace and mercy of God that we have now been called to share these unsearchable riches with others. To proclaim these unsearchable riches. And no doubt, listen, Paul did, he did possess a unique calling as one who was to proclaim these unsearchable riches. He was an apostle, right? Specifically called and commissioned by Jesus. But there is a sense in which all of us, all of us are called to this work. Because we as Christians have all been called to make disciples. And making disciples includes explaining and unpacking this good news of Jesus for others. In fact, it's interesting in this verse where Paul talks about proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ, the word there, proclaimed, that's translated proclaim in the ESV, is actually not the normal word that we would associate with preaching or proclaiming. The normal word in Greek that we associate with preaching and proclaiming is keruso. But the word that's used here is rather uagalizo. Uh, it's, it's the word from which we get evangelism. You can kind of hear it in that word, uagalizo. And it means to tell or to announce the good news. It includes preaching, but it includes more than that. It can be translated to tell, to share, to announce, to teach the good news. And that's interesting because actually, after studying Paul's evangelistic efforts in the New Testament, J.I. Packer, who is a Christian theologian, concluded that Paul's primary method of evangelism was not preaching, but it was actually teaching. You can see this as you walk through the book of Acts and other places. You can see that Paul, as he was sharing Christ with others, more times than not, was teaching. And that should be encouraging to us all. Because not everyone will be called to preach like, I'm up here this morning preaching. But all of us, all of us can participate in this work of teaching others the good news of the gospel. Sharing with others this good news. In fact, Max Stiles, uh, who wrote an excellent little book on evangelism, defines evangelism this way. Quote, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. That's a very simple and helpful definition. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. And the thing is, is that if you're a Christian this morning, you can, you can participate in that. You can be involved in that activity. You can teach others the good news with the aim to persuade. So moms, 
You can teach your children the good news as you're intentional to read through a children's Bible with them. Those of you who are in the workplace, you can can teach others the good news as you're intentional to strike up spiritual conversations with those that you work with. If you're a Christian this morning, you can be intentional to teach others the good news as you pray for opportunities to maybe meet with someone and read through the Gospels with them. Maybe read through the Gospel of Mark or read through the Gospel of John with them and let them ask questions and talk about the claims of Jesus. In these ways, we can all participate in this ministry of proclamation, in this, in this ministry of proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ as we teach others and lay before them the unsearchable riches of God's salvation in Jesus. Again, in that book Max Stiles uh, wrote on evangelism, he says this. I think this is just a wonderful quote. He says, quote, I would happily trade... All the pizzazz of stunning speakers, mind-blowing music, and wildly popular Easter pageants for a culture of evangelism in which people are trained to lead a Bible study with a non-Christian in the Gospel of Mark, point to the message of the Gospel and the text, and urge the unbeliever to come to Jesus based on the truth of what he has learned from the Scriptures. End of quote. My friends, that is so true. If if churches are to be powerful in evangelism, it's not just going to happen up here, right? It's when the church, every member of the church, is empowered and equipped to speak to others and teach them about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, by God's grace, we've had numerous people here in our church body become Christians. Not, Not primarily because of what happens up here, but because individual members in our church started to meet with them and take them through the Gospel of Mark, an evangelistic Bible study in the Gospel of Mark, and they they were able to ask questions and discuss and talk about the Gospel of Mark and Jesus and who He is, and then they came to faith in Christ. And listen, what Paul is saying is when that happens, that is grace. And it's not only grace for the person who's trusting in Jesus for the first time, it's grace for the individual who's leading that study, right? Who's walking them through that study. It's grace that we get to participate in this reality of sharing with others the unsearchable riches of Christ and seeing them come to faith in Jesus. Paul says that is grace. That's undeserved merit. Undeserved and unmerited favor that God would allow us to participate in this reality. The second second facet of proclaiming the gospel that is clearly a product of God's grace is the grace of God to proclaim the mystery hidden for ages. The grace of God to proclaim the mystery hidden for ages. So the grace of God to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ and now the grace of God to proclaim the mystery hidden for ages. Look there in verses 8 to 10. And we read these words. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul says, this grace has been given to me that I might proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ, 
But not only that, grace has been given to me that I might make known, I might bring to light this mystery. Okay? Now, what is the mystery? Well, when you use the word mystery in English, it's something that is unknown. It's something that's like a secret or a puzzle or a riddle. But when Paul uses this word mystery in the Bible, it's apparent. He uses it in a number of different places, not just in Ephesians. It's apparent that he has something else in mind. Paul is talking about something that was previously hidden that has now been revealed or made known. So that's what he's speaking of when he talks about a mystery. Something that was previously hidden, but now has been revealed and made known. And what is the mystery? What is the mystery of the gospel that has been made known in these verses? Well, it's that Gentiles who were ethnically and culturally distinct from the Jews, who were spiritual outsiders, have now become members of the people of God by grace through faith in Jesus. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at the previous verse in verse 6. Paul tells us very specifically in verse 6, he defines what the mystery is. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So prior, prior to this event, prior to the coming of Jesus, the, the people of God were comprised primarily of Jews. But now what Paul is saying is this culturally and ethnically diverse people who are spiritually separated from God, are being welcomed into the church through faith in Jesus. And Paul is eager for us to know that through faith in Jesus, Jew and Gentile are equal members of the people of God. In fact, he emphasizes this in verse 6 by using three terms, three terms that communicate the Gentile's solidarity with the Jews. Now, this is not as clear in the ESV, which I'm reading this morning, but actually the New International Version makes this very clear, and I think does a better job of translating this verse, because in the original, Paul uses three terms, and each one of them start with this little preposition, soon, which means with, soon, which means with, and he repeats it three times over and over again. It means with or together. So listen to the NIV translation of verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Uh, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So you hear that? Every time that word together is used, the translators are highlighting that word soon, which means with or together. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. In other words, the Gentiles are not second-class citizens. The Gentiles who were, who were separated from God, culturally, ethnically diverse, they have been brought in and now they are fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow sharers with the Jews of all the promises that are ours in Jesus. Paul says this was previously hidden, but now it's been made revealed. In now it's been revealed in Jesus. There was a time in the Old Testament where there was the promise that the Gentiles would become part of the people of God. There's a time in the Old Testament where there was ideas of what that might look like, but it was a mystery. It was hidden, but now in Jesus, it has been revealed. And why? What is the what is the purpose? What is the purpose of this being revealed? 
And then Paul being given this charge to enlighten people to this mystery. Well, notice it in verse um, verse 10. Go back to verse 9. He says, To bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is the reason why in verse 10, so that the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now let's just spend a little bit of time there because this is remarkable. This is the reason why. So that the manifold wisdom of God, the glory of God's wisdom might be made known. Now think about our mission statement. Our mission statement is to glorify God, make much of God by proclaiming the gospel. Paul's saying, I have been given this task to enlighten people of this mystery of God's reconciling grace in which he reconciles us to himself and reconciles different people to one another in Jesus. Why? So that God's manifold wisdom, his glory might be made known. But check this out. Who is this glory being made known to? Who is it being made known to? Verse 10, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we might think like being made known to us, being made known to the world, and that's true, but that's not what Paul says here. It's being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, it's being made known to angels, right? Supernatural beings. That's who God's wisdom and glory is being displayed to. And how is it being displayed? Notice there in verse 10, through the church. Through us. That's who the church is. Those who are believers in Jesus. So this is how this happens. Paul's been given this message. He is to enlighten people in regards to God's reconciling grace and mercy in Christ. People believe this message. They trust in Jesus. They start coming together and living together and existing together in one church, worshiping together and glorifying God. And Paul says the angels look on as these diverse culturally and ethnically diverse people from different backgrounds, different experiences come together in Christ and the angels worship God. They are filled with wonder and awe. John Stott says, the history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. This is what God is doing in redeeming a people for Himself from every tribe and tongue in language, in nation. He is showing off His reconciling power and grace in the gospel. And listen, my friends, we get to participate in this. We get to participate in this work. And Paul says it's grace. It's undeserved, unmerited favor that God would call people like us to participate in this glorious work of showing off God's manifold wisdom and power and grace. Even this morning as we come to the table and we take the bread and the cup, we who are former rebels against God, hostile towards one another with many differences and varied backgrounds and preferences, as we come to take the same bread and take the same cup, professing our common faith in unity in Christ, the angels wonder and give glory to God. You know, if you think about our nation, and then you think about especially the church globally, we recognize that demographically things are changing dramatically. 
In fact, did you know that in 1960, the population of the United States was 85% white? By 2060, and this is a projection, so there may be factors that change this or things might be altered some. But by 2060, the projection is that only 43% of the U.S. population will be white. Since 1965, 40 million immigrants have come to the U.S., about 50% Hispanic and about 30% Asian. Now, if, if you just, so, so, so the demographics of our own country are changing dramatically. But then if you step out of our nation, right, step out of our country, and you look globally at what's happening in the church, by 2050, 72% of all Christians will live in Africa, Asia, or Latin America. Listen to that. By 2050, the projection is that 72% of all Christians worldwide will live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. In other words, the church in America will be a significant minority in the global church. And as ethnically and culturally the dynamics of our nation change and the church globally changes, we have an extraordinary opportunity to look more and more like the ethnically and culturally diverse people that Paul envisions here. God is calling us. As He calls us to glorify Himself by proclaiming the gospel, He's calling us to be cross-cultural missionaries in our own city, in our own nation, and as we take the gospel to the nations. Even as we think about trips that we've taken in the past to Turkey and to Madagascar, even as we have a member right now who's serving overseas in Southeast Asia. We are called to be cross-cultural missionaries. Even as Paul was here, writing this letter from Rome all the way over to Ephesus, a Jew who was an apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul says, as, as God puts this calling, this burden, this responsibility on our lives, it is grace. It's undeserved, unmerited favor that we get to experience this and that we get to put on display before the world the reconciling power of God's grace. Third, and this one won't be as long. So the first, the first facet of the ministry of proclamation that comes to us by grace is that we are, we are by grace are called to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. The second facet is that we are called to enlighten others to proclaim to others the mystery of God's grace that this culturally diverse, ethnically diverse people are being brought together in Christ. And then third, third facet is the grace of God to proclaim, the grace of God to proclaim. And here, just want to emphasize that we need grace as we engage in this activity. So turn over actually to Ephesians chapter 6, to Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul says there in Verses 18 to 20. He tells the church there to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery. There's, there's the mystery again of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So this is the one other place that we see 
in the book of Ephesians that Paul uses this word, uagalizo, which is translated by the ESV here, proclaim, to share, to tell, to announce this good news. And what we see here in this occasion where Paul uses this word is that this grace to proclaim this message is not just a one-time event that we receive at conversion. Okay, so like when Paul was converted, in, in that conversion, not only was he called to be a Christian, but he was given grace to proclaim this message. Like he was given a, a call, a responsibility. It was undeserved, it was unmerited, but God was calling him into this mission of saving a people for himself. And that was grace that was given to Paul. And that's true of all of us who are Christians. When we're saved, we are given this mission by grace, by God's grace. We're called into this mission that God is on to redeem a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And that's grace. But that's not just a one-time event, that grace that's given to us at conversion. It's not just a one-time event. But as we go on in life, seeking to fulfill this call and responsibility, we need grace. We need grace over and over and over and over again to fulfill this call to share Jesus with others. In other words, we need ongoing, undeserved mercy, empowerment, strength to fulfill God's call in our lives. And that's why Paul here is jealous for the Ephesians to pray for him. Right? He says there in this passage, in verse um, 19, verse 18, he says, make supplication for all the saints, and for me, verse 19, that words may give it, be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery. Now, think about this. Think about who the Apostle Paul is as he writes these words. Paul, first of all, was an apostle, right? Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Paul was extremely intelligent. He was trained by the best scholars, religious scholars of his day. Paul has written writings that we still, I mean, volumes and volumes and volumes have been written about them, and we still study them and analyze them today. He's extremely intelligent. Paul was an accomplished and, and very gifted preacher and church planner as he planted churches all across the Roman Empire. And here Paul, this man that is so gifted and so able and has accomplished so much for God, he, he asked for two things, right? And what are the two things he asked for? Words and boldness. Now that seems strange to me. Because if I think about the Apostle Paul, those are two things I would think Paul's not lacking. Right? Words and boldness. I mean, think about it. He wrote much of the New Testament. He preached all the time. Paul, why do you need words? Paul feels, feels so desperate, right, for his need for God. He says, pray, pray that God would give me words. And not only that, he prays for boldness. Now, of all the people that, that you know, would you think that Paul is a man who needs boldness? I mean, Paul would be beaten, he'd be stoned, he'd be thrown out of cities, and what would he do? He'd just dust the you know, dirt off of his arms and his legs and get up and go to the next city and preach the gospel. He was whipped, he was shipwrecked, but he never stopped. And yet Paul says, I need boldness. Pray for me that God would give me grace, undeserved mercy and favor in which he would strengthen me and make me bold in the gospel. You know, as Paul is writing this letter, 
most scholars believe that he's writing it from Rome. And he's in his first imprisonment. And as Paul is penning these words, he may very well be thinking, I am going to have an opportunity to speak and make my defense before Caesar. And Paul is saying, listen, church in Ephesus, I need words. Because if God doesn't give me words, I won't, I won't speak the gospel clearly as I ought. And church in Ephesus, I need boldness. Because if, if you don't pray for boldness and God doesn't give me grace to have boldness, I won't have the courage to open my mouth and to speak for the sake of Christ, even though death may result. And so Paul says, pray, pray, pray that God would give me undeserved, unmerited favor and strengthen me that I might have words and I might have boldness. Oh, my friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need the grace of God to fulfill this call in our lives. We need God's grace to glorify God, to make much of God by proclaiming this gospel. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our missionaries. Pray for your pastors and your elders. Pray for me. I am praying for you. I pray for you regularly, consistently. Let us pray for one another that we would have words, that we would be bold, that we would receive the grace we need to fulfill this call to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel. For those of us who are believers, we've seen from the book of Ephesians that we have received, even as we sung this morning, grace upon grace. We have received the grace of the forgiveness of sins, the grace to be called the children of God, but not only that, we have received the grace to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ and to declare the reconciling power of Jesus by which He is bringing and redeeming a people for Himself from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And God has promised that if we seek Him for grace, He will continue to give us grace, all the grace we need to fulfill this calling in our lives. My friends, let us rejoice that we have been called to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel. And may we be faithful to do so. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the responsibility to share Christ with others, we're oftentimes motivated by guilt or shame. But Lord, we pray that we would see here in the book of Ephesians how Paul was motivated by your grace. And Lord, I pray that we would be as well. Lord, I pray that you would capture our own minds and hearts with the great privilege that you have given us, not only to be your people, but to be your ambassadors in the world, to proclaim and to share this message with others. Father, help us in our services. Help us in all the ministries that we're involved in, in the life of the church. Help us in our personal relationships, in our family, in our workplace, in our neighbors and community. Lord, help us to be faithful messengers, to teach others the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray that through our efforts, we would see many, many, many come to faith in Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.